This is the third talk in the series of reminiscences about his life from various people who knew him. This is from a book called Man of God, St. John of Shanghai in San Francisco. So today I want to share with you a testimony from someone who knew him as a young child, Archimandrite Ambrose Pagodin. One of the reasons I'm sharing this homily today on the Feast of the Ascension is because the life of St. John is evidence of the resurrection and the ascension in that human beings can achieve holiness and become deified. We see this in the life of St. John. Every now and then in the history of the church, down through the centuries, holy people emerge who show to us the gospel is true and that it really can be lived out. And we see this very clearly in our beloved Vladika, St. John Maximovich. <clears throat> One could say that I was attached to Vladika John from my early childhood in the church in Belgrade. At that time, he was not yet 40, and his hair was still dark. I was just an ordinary little boy, but I love Vladika John deeply. Vladika John was Bishop of Shanghai, but often visited Belgrade. Whenever he came to Yugoslavia, he came to the church and served. <clears throat> Everyone knew him, loved him, and considered him their own. I remember how I would press my head against him. You can see this little boy pressing his head against St. John in the altar, perhaps, or in the church. And he would say, don't butt into me. You probably have all seen the photograph of St. John, the black and white photograph. That is the most famous picture of him. And the smile on his face is such a beautiful thing. And I can just see him smiling that way towards little children, especially. <clears throat> These, then, are my first impressions of Vladika John. <clears throat> of course, we knew that there were two pillars of our church which we could hold on to. The wise and very subtle Vladika Metropolitan Anastasi and Vladika John, who was remarkable for his holiness and asceticism. <clears throat> Afterwards, everything was turned upside down. As a result of Yugoslavia's submission to the new communist regime, the Russian church abroad left Belgrade and all contact with Vladika John was lost. So you see there was a period of time after the communist revolution where Yugoslavia was still a free country and Vladika John was able to go back and visit there from Shanghai and serve the liturgy with those people. But then eventually Yugoslavia also came under the iron fist of the Soviet Union and he was no longer able to be with them. I heard a great deal about Vladika John's ascetical struggles, how he never lay down to sleep but slept sitting up. For, for nearly 40 years, he never slept in a bed. He always either slept at his desk for an hour or two at, at night and he was doing his correspondence, whatever. He would sleep on his knees in front of the icons catching a little bit of sleep here and there, he, but he would never sleep in a bed. And often he would sleep during the day, 
even in services, it seemed that he was sleeping, but whenever people thought he was sleeping, he actually was awake. And of course, I, I told this story several times of how <clears throat> he was in church one day and a couple of little old ladies no, noticed that he, they thought he was asleep. And they were shaking their heads and saying, he, he stays awake all night and then he comes to church to sleep. Like, you know, it doesn't make sense. And when, while, when they said that to each other, he, he turned around and looked at them. And even though he was far, too far away to hear what they had to say, but he knew what they were thinking. This was common. He would have conversations with people and they would be talking and he, they would think he was asleep and they, so they would stop and then he would say, no, keep going, I'm listening. So quite often he was probably resting his eyes but not really sleeping. One sense that Vladika was surrounded by an aura of prayerfulness. I met Vladika John for the second time in my life in 1950 when he was appointed to the West European Diocese. The situation there was very difficult. The church was struggling financially, as were the clergy, myself included. Economically, Vladika John could not help me, but there were no parishes and therefore no place to send me. However, however, Vladika John received many donations of church articles, cassocks, and the like. One day I was a, quote, I was a young 26-year-old priest at the time. He said to me, try on this cassock. I tried it on and couldn't tell if it fit or not. Vladika John stood on his knees to see whether the cassock reached all the way to my feet. Such humility. Later on, Vladika John visited us in London. He usually visited us every year on the Feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God, the patronal feast of our church. Vladika John was an outstanding personality. Everyone loved and revered him, but not in an idolatrous way. It was rather a profound deference to his ascetical struggles and to himself as one who voluntarily carried on this spiritual struggle. By the way, Vladika had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk right. And when they told him he was going to be made a bishop, he said, no, I cannot be a bishop. I have a speech impediment. So what do you think they said to him? He said, Moses had a speech impediment too, but he still was chosen by God. Vladika John routinely visited churches of other faiths where the grace of orthodoxy might still manifest itself, especially in the form of holy relics of saints whom we revere in common, who were glorified before the schism of the Christian churches. Following this practice, Vladika John expressed the intention of visiting Westminster Abbey. At one time, it may have been a holy place. In spite of the devastation wreaked by Henry VIII, the abbey was miraculously preserved as a functioning church. Now, however, it no longer possesses the holiness it once had as an ancient church. Now we simply come to see it as one of London's tourist attractions. Vladika also went to see it, but after spending only a short time there, he left saying, There is no grace here. It is true, one could find there the remains of renowned figures of England, of the country's political founders and writers and scholars, but not of saints. 
Here is another, yet another impression I had of Ladika John. He was coming by train to London from France, as I recall. A group of clergy, the late Vladika Nikodim, Archpriest George Cheremitiev, and I met Vladika at the train station. At that moment, there came out of the train station a hunched-over old man, wearing sandals on bare feet, carrying a heavy icon on his chest, and with a cloak that was slightly askew, hat that was kind of tilted. Although he was not an elder, a Tourette's, that is, he had the appearance of one, as if, a worn, as if worn down by life's concerns. Vladika came out of the train station, and an Englishman, a simple man, said, Now that is a bishop. <laughs> he felt a tremendous spiritual strength in Vladika. It must be added that he, that same impression applied to Vladika John as to all bishops, and that is, when they are in church, you feel that it is a day of celebration. Although you think this isn't a feast day, it's an ordinary day, three stikera from the Octocos, three from the Medayan, and the Lord I have cried, there's no doxology or polyleos. Nevertheless, you feel that it is a feast day, a great holiday, because Vladika John is there. This should apply to all bishops. But that is far from true. Wherever he was, there was something special, an invisible light, that which we call grace, although we don't really understand this word. Vladika John served with a great flair. This is too secular a term. With great feeling and deep involvement in the church service. While his sermons were virtually unintelligible to the ear, when they were read, they made a great impression. Only two or three people standing at the front of the church were able to hear him. The rest was lost. Vladika John considered it his duty to preach, but he had difficulty pronouncing words clearly, and it was hard to understand him. Vladika John could be very strict and very forbearing at the same time. If he knew that someone could do better, he was strict with him. But if he could see that the person could not manage, he was very understanding and forgiving. Now that's a good lesson, isn't it? Somebody's doing their best, you give them some slack. If they're being a slacker, then you get out the whip. That's, that's the way we ought to be. We need to be sensitive to where people are at. And he was that way. He could be very strict in church, in the services, about how they were done. But then outside of that, he could be super lenient and forgiving and easygoing. In other words, he was like Christ. He always knew the right response to give to people, what they needed for their salvation. I noticed two things about Vladika John. On the one hand, he was pedantically strict about the order of the services. For example, he would expect you to sing the sessional hymn or the expostolarian. It wasn't important in which tone, but it had to be sung. On the other hand, he could be exceptionally understanding. For instance, I know of two cases where Protestant ministers converted to Orthodoxy. Vladika baptized them, and although they had been married twice, he ordained them. Thus in him was a strictness as well as an incredible kindness. 
If anyone took offense at Vladika, Vladika himself would ask forgiveness of that person, even though the other could sense that he himself was at fault. Vladika saw his flock as truly his flock. He was closely bound to it. He constantly visited the sick and went to parishioners' homes. I heard another story about him. He was always late for church. Always late. And people, parish councils got upset that you know he would not show up on time. And it just got really bad. And so they had a parish council meeting and he was at the meeting. They agreed they would give him a 15-minute grace period. But if he didn't show up after 15 minutes, they could start the service. Because he, he didn't want them, he didn't approve of them starting the service without him. So he agreed. Well, first service after that meeting, sure enough, the, the Vespers or something is supposed to start, and 15 minutes he hadn't showed up. That was actually madness. So the reader starts the service and he's singing the, the penitential psalms. His long, the long six psalms he used to do at the beginning of mountains. He'd gotten through the first three psalms and Vladika came into the church. And he was upset. He took his staff and banged it on the floor and said, Stop reading right now. The priest was in the altar saying the, the prayers of the priest prays while these psalms are being read. The priest came out and said, keep reading. It's happened three times. Stop reading. Keep reading. The reader is standing there caught in the middle. Finally, after the third time, the priest took his stole off, walked out of the altar, went next door to the priest's residence. Didn't come out for three days. After three days, Ladika went to the, the priest's house, knocked on the door, and asked his forgiveness and prostrated before him. And he apologized for um, challenging his authority as the priest. And the priest was very bold. He said, I'm upset because you disrupted the holy service. He told, he told the truth to St. John, and St. John uh, was rebuked and apologized. So that's a real sign of saintliness, to be able to admit you're wrong. And we need to all be able to do that. <clears throat> He, on theological issues, Ladika and I discussed very little. He was greatly pressed for time, and I was shy about bothering him. However, I know that every translation that I sent to him, even the most insignificant Ladika John received with great enthusiasm, praise, and gratitude. And this gave me noticeable energy to continue this work, knowing that there was someone who would find the time, even if it tore him away from sleep or rest, to read it. Ladika John's services were extremely long. One time, um, a visiting priest came and served Vespers instead of him. And he, he served like a 45-minute Vespers, which is kind of what we do. Maybe a little longer, but, you know, basic. And after, later on, some of the clergy were, came up to Bishop John and said, what? they thought it was such a scandal that 
this priest had only taken 45 minutes for Vespers because Bishop John's Vespers were so long. And Bishop John just smiled and said, you just can't please you guys. You complain that I serve too long and then you criticize this other priest for being too short. <laughs> so he kind of made a joke out of it. But his services were very long. Perhaps this was necessary as an ascetical practice, but there were few who could endure it. However, now that Vladika is gone, I remember how wonderful it was to live with him and pray with him. You had someone to whom you could open your soul, someone to support you, someone who, if you fell, would pick you up again, who would give you courage, show you compassion, give you spiritual strength. This was a saint. Without him, you have the feeling that your whole life is passing between pieces of ice and that warm hearts is not, a warm heart is not there. I know that Vladika read thoughts. Once I had a very bad thought. And Vladika turned around and looked at me very sternly. Vladika's clairvoyance was hidden. In order to avoid sinning by false humility, he preferred never to admit this gift. During the last months of Vladika's life, I was in San Francisco. Vladika received me with such warmth that I simply cannot express the joy I felt in my heart during those two months. He had reached such an unattainable level of holiness that during that last period it was almost frightening for me to be with him. This was true of St. Nectarius, too, in reading his life. The la in the last years of his life, he became so holy that none of the persecutions could penetrate his heart. He was just beyond it. And this was true of St. John, who went through persecution at the end of his life when they were trying to build this, uh, this cathedral, and there was uh, controversy over that. He, had, he even had to go to court to defend himself against claims of uh, malfeasance, he was totally unshakable, totally unflappable. Imagine if you were to actually see an angel before you. You would feel awestruck in his presence. As he approached the time of his death, Vladika was already in the realm of God's grace. Did Vladika John foresee his own death? It is difficult to say. If he did, as some say then, out of his own modesty, he concealed it. In any case, knowing that he wanted to reimburse me right away for my traveling expenses to San Francisco, I said to him, It's all right, Vladika, it can be done another time. In other words, he had this, this Archimandrite had spent some money helping with his transportation, and he was telling Vladika, Don't worry about it, you can pay me back another time. <clears throat> Vladika said, no, it must be done right now. Why? Because it must be so. So this was an indication that perhaps he knew. Another story about St. John is he took uh, voice lessons from somebody once, a lady, because he had trouble speaking. He took voice lessons from this lady, and he, every time he had a lesson, he would give her a $20 bill in thanking her. Well, later on in her life, she became very ill. and She was in a hospital. And she thought perhaps she was going to die. And so, late in the evening, she 
she called out to the nurses and said, please go get Bishop John. Get Vladika John and bring him here. Uh, I, I think that I'm coming to the end of my life. Well, they couldn't do that. The, the, uh, the uh, hospital was locked down, shut up for the night. They didn't know, didn't, had no idea where he was. They couldn't find him, so they, they didn't even try. Well, in the middle of the night, she was visited by what she thought was Fladika John. She couldn't, wasn't sure whether it was a vision or a dream or actually him, but he came and prayed for her and gave her Holy Communion and then left. So in the morning, she, she asked, you know, did anyone see this Bishop John? And no, no one saw him. But guess what she found under her pillow? $20 bill. So... Archbishop John, Vladika John would visit people quite often that way. He would come when, they, when nobody knew that, I mean, he was not able, they weren't able to reach him or let him know the time that he would still come. So anyway, because it must, then he directed me to supervise courses in theology, which I did gladly. Then Vladika said to me, all right. Now that you have rested for a month and a half, it's time you get to work, serve and work. And then suddenly came the unexpected news, the dreadful news that Ladika had died. Bishop Nectari was in Seattle, and it was my duty to preside at the first Panahita for Vladika John in the cathedral in San Francisco. It was unforgettable. We started with a resounding, Blessed is our God, Blogosloven Bognash. And then you started to cry. And the celebrating priest follows suit and also starts to cry. The deacon's voice breaks and he cannot get through the litany. The entire city was crying, including the clergy. Fladika John departed this life bearing the aura of holiness and boundless love for people. <laughs>